who's seen the programme, A Question of Sport? Most of you know, you kind of know what it is. It's a quiz show. I hardly ever watch it now, but as, as a kid, I used to watch it every single week. I think Bill Bowman and Ian Botham were captains then, so that's how long ago it was. But it's, it's, been, green, it's been green for years and years and years, hasn't it? Uh, and one of the most, or one of the best known rounds is the what happens next round. Uh, and if you've seen it, um, you get this scene from a sporting event uh, and everything's going normal, everything's going as planned, the game's going on or the contest's going on. Uh, and then they stop the video and the question is, what happens next? And each team take a guess at what happens next. Usually it's, well, always it's something unusual, it's something completely unexpected, it's something that doesn't fit with what's gone before. And generally it's that somebody's done something stupid. Well, here we are with Abraham, and we saw last week, didn't we? Abraham's been given this amazing promise from God. He's been promised that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is going is to come, he's going to defeat sin, he's going to defeat death, he's going to bring us back to paradise, he's going to bring us back to God, and he's going to come from Abraham's family. Even though Abraham's wife can't have kids, and Abraham shows tremendous faith, he takes God, as his, God at his word, he believes God, and he, he, he goes around, he leaves all his possessions, he leaves his, his fancy lifestyle, he, he goes all around Canaan building altars, planting flags, saying, this is, this is what God's given me, this is what God's given me. And you think, what a start to, to the Christian life Abraham has. It's all going so well, he gives up everything he knows to follow God's promise in faith. And, and that's why... When we talk about Abraham, we talk about him as a great man of faith. Well, it's one of the reasons. And that's what happens to us, isn't it, when we become Christians to a, to a greater or lesser degree. We give up everything or we give up anything that, that holds us back from God. And even though we can't see physically, we, we follow God because we believe his word. We can't see heaven. We can't see that Jesus physically died on the cross. We can't see it with our eyes. But in faith, we believe it. In faith, we believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he was paying for our sin. We believe that one day Jesus is going to return to the earth and he's going to make all things new and those that love him are going to be with him forever. We, we believe those things by faith. And so we pre we're prepared to leave things behind in this world for what we trust in faith. That's how we become a Christian, same as Abraham. And we think what a tremendous example of faith to us Abraham was. And again, like, that's what happens to us. That there we were living our own life. Maybe, maybe someone preached a sermon. Maybe you read a book. Maybe you read your Bible. And over a period of time, the, you saw the message of the gospel. You came to trust the promises of God. And you thought, these promises are more beautiful and precious than anything this world offers. And you leave your old habits. You leave your own lifestyle. And you turn and, and follow Jesus. Well, that's Abraham. Abraham's the, the example of faith par excellence. What happens next? What happens next after Abraham's left everything to follow God? Well, we read in verse 10 that there's a famine in the land. I don't think we appreciate um, what a famine's like anymore, do we? It, it's serious. If you didn't produce crops, you didn't eat. If you didn't eat, you, di you died. You know, they're talking, aren't they? If you're looking for a job, the best job at the moment is trained to be a lorry driver. Me and Bev were talking this morning. I think the starting wage is between 35 and 40 grand. Um, for someone new, so if you want, a, if you want a, a new career, that's the one to go for, because they're worried about supply coming in and out of the country, aren't they? There's, there's so many retiring and they need people to come in and come out. But listen, even if no one signs up, we'll have food next year. Uh, and we'll have food the year after that. We just might not have oranges from South Africa and we might not have grapes from wherever grapes come from. 
and we might not have strawberries in winter, but we won't starve, we'll, we'll be fine, trust me. You don't, need to, you don't need to go tonight and stock up on tins that last for 10 years. We, we don't need to, we'll be fine. But back then, if you had one year of bad crops, you might just survive if you had a bit stocked up. But the next year you're in trouble, and if you have a famine that year, you're done, you would die. Unless you were super rich, you lived off the land, a famine kills you. So it was a serious crisis coming up in Abraham's life. This is what's happened. He started following Jesus, and he's met with a crisis. How often does that happen? We start following Jesus, and we meet with a crisis. When you become a Christian, it's not a bed of roses. Abraham's got this large family, he's got an entourage, he's got servants, he's got people to support. So in this crisis, in this famine, he decides to take him to Egypt for a while. And the plan, I'm sure, would have been to return once the famine's over. Still normally, normal behaviour, nothing out of the ordinary, he's not, he's not done anything sinful. But what happens next? Well, we're told that Abraham's wife, Sarai, is very beautiful. She's 70, but she's gorgeous. And this is where the crisis arises. She's so beautiful that Abraham's genuinely concerned that when they go down to Egypt, people are going to see that she's his wife, kill him and take her. I'm sure that's your fear of, if you're a bloke, that's that's the fear of many of us. It's one of the fears I have when I go out with Liz. I I think someone's going to take her because she's so beautiful. But you can imagine the conversation, can't you? Um, Abraham... Imagine, this conversation must have happened on some level. Abraham and Sarai, as they're about to enter Egypt, and he says, listen, love, we're, we're going to go to Egypt for a bit, and you are a very beautiful woman. And she says, well, thank you, darling. You're not too bad yourself for 75. And he says, thank you, sweetheart, but let me finish. You're a very beautiful woman. Woman, I don't want anyone killing me and stealing you. So look, could you say that you're my sister rather than my wife? Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is, first of all, it's a lie, but the problem is this. Abraham knew there was a genuine threat that if he went down to Egypt, his wife was going to be stolen and taken by another man. But his his concern isn't that another man will take his wife and abuse her or whatever. His, His concern is that they might kill him to do it. And he couches it in terms of, well, this is what sin does, isn't it? I'm doing this for you. But he's not, he's looking after number one. Abraham's not saying, say that you're my sister so they don't take you. He's saying, say that you're my sister so that when they do take you, they don't hurt me. Now this is the same bloke that has just left everything to follow God. If there were any danger to his wife, he shouldn't have gone. Rule number one is of marriage you sacrifice for your wife. You don't put your wife in danger. Agape love that John talked about this morning. And here's Abraham, and he's using Sarai as a human shield. He's using Sarai to save his own skin. He's prepared to allow Sarai to be taken and defiled to save his own skin. Here's the bloke who's left everything because he's trusted God's promise. The man of faith. What happens next? A crisis comes, he completely bottles it, he doesn't trust that God can look after him. And it's not a small thing, this is the great man of faith behaving like a coward. 
And as Abraham enters Egypt with Sarai, she's acting as his sister, news reaches Pharaoh. There's this beautiful woman, and she's, she's just entered the country. And Pharaoh says, all right, bring her to me. See, Abraham wasn't joking, he wasn't exaggerating. What Abraham feared did happen. The most powerful man in the world takes Abraham's wife. And that's bad on lots of levels, but, but remember this level, the promise of a saviour coming that's going to bless the world, that's going to save people from the sin, can only come through Abraham. It's what God's promised. How on earth is Abraham now going to, how that, how's that promise going to happen of a child when his wife's been taken? See, Abraham's put the whole of the promise of the saviour, the whole of the promise of God for the rest of the, uh, the, the world He's put it in jeopardy. He's only been entrusted with it for five minutes and, and he's blown it. Reminds you of Adam and Eve, doesn't it? Entrusted with this huge responsibility and, and this huge blessing and five minutes later they're naked and ashamed. Remember the story, I know I've told you it loads of times so I don't want to bore you with it, but the story always reminds me of this. When my grandparents, um, they had five lads, my dad was one of them, they, went away. they never went away on their own. They went away to Cleethorpes for, for two days. And when they got back, the front door had been put through. The settee were in half, and my dad was trying to revive the budgie in the sink because they'd been fighting. And the story goes, we only went away for two days. We left you for two days, and you've destroyed the house. Well, there's Abram. Abram, you've been entrusted with this promise and blessing for five minutes, and look at, look at the mess you've made. R.C. Sproul once said, if we could lose our salvation, we would. If we could wreck God's plans and promises, we would. Just imagine if we were in ultimate control of our lives. Imagine if we were the ones that were ultimately in, in charge of our family. Imagine if we were the ones that ultimately were in charge of the church. Imagine if we were the ones in charge of our own salvation. How long would we last? I, I, I don't even think it'd be days. I don't even think it'd be hours. I think it'd be minutes. How could this happen to Abraham so great after such an amazing start? Well, here's David. Amazing David. David, the man after God's own heart. David, who God's just promised the, the, this everlasting covenant between David and the Lord. And God's given him a kingdom and he's given him great victories. And five minutes later, he's in bed with Bathsheba. Here's Elijah, amazing Elijah, and he experienced this great victory at Mount Carmel, and he sees God move in a powerful way, and then he runs off to a cave and says, I, I want to die because I'm scared of a woman. Here's Peter, I'll die before betraying you. And five minutes later, he stood around a fire, cursing and saying, I don't know him. If we were left in control, if we were left in charge of God's plans and God's promises, we would blow it, because all them men are better men than us. So how is Abraham going to get back? Abraham's now not in control. It's not in his hands. There's nothing that Abraham can do. The most powerful man in the world has taken his wife. She's with Pharaoh, and he knew this was going to happen. He's put his wife in a terrible situation. Can you imagine how bad, bad it would have been if, if Pharaoh would have married her? Abraham's marriage is over now and the promise is gone. And he's lasted about five minutes. 
Here's, I think, the, the lesson. Don't any of us think that we're above failing. We might have done things in great faith. We might have made great stands. Not a single one of us is above failing. In fact, you read the Bible, you read history. Often it's after a really great victory that a great defeat comes. If Tottenham wins 6-0, I'm always thinking, yeah, next week they'll lose. They say in football or in sport, the most vulnerable time in a game is immediately after you've scored. Quite often for us, our most vulnerable time is, is when we've had great success. Abraham's failed. Let's not think that we're above failure. But what happens next? There's another what happens next. Well, firstly, something else unexpected happens. Something else that, that doesn't fit the, the, the expectation of what would normally happen happens. What should have happened, what would normally happen, is Pharaoh takes Sarai, his wife, Abraham never sees her again. But we read this, Pharaoh treats Abraham well for Sarai's sake and gives him animals and servants. It's a common tactic, isn't it? If you like a girl, be nice to her brother. But have you seen this? Abraham's been stupid and he ends up getting blessed. But still no wife. Abraham's powerless and yet we read verse 17. The Lord plagued Pharaoh because of Sarai. So when Abraham's, we've got to understand this, Abraham's powerless because of his own sin, and the Lord steps in and blesses him. Before Pharaoh can text Sarai, his wife, God plagues him, and he, and he sends him away, and we can only speculate as to what happened to Pharaoh, but before he can take Sarai, he's struck with some kind of disease. Pharaoh could have killed Abraham for that. When he realized he'd been lied to, he could have killed him. He maybe should have done. But instead, he sends him away. He lets him keep the dowry that he's paid him. Pharaoh acts more honorably than Abraham, and he's a pagan. Sometimes that happens. And Abraham, who's sinned greatly, leaves richer than when he arrived. How on earth does that fit? Abraham's made a right mess and God in his mercy has rescued him and not only has he rescued him, he's blessed him. And Abraham leaves Egypt with his marriage intact, financially set up for life. And we think, it's not fair. What type of message does this give people? What type of message is it giving the church when somebody has obviously sinned and, and God blesses them? Or, or it looks like God's blesses them. Looks like we can just do what we want, doesn't it? Psalm 103, God has not dealt with us according to our sins. So grateful for that. God has not dealt with us according to our sins. There's one reason Abraham escapes and, and he's, he's better off, and it's God's grace. This is why the Bible's real. Because it doesn't whitewash the Christian life, it doesn't whitewash its heroes. And so when we get to Jesus, we know that the Bible's a warts and all book and they can't find anything on him is perfect. The message is this, we'll fail. And we mustn't wear our failure as a badge of honor, but God is merciful and gracious and he, he can bless us even when we fail. Abram's failed massively, but, but God's 
merciful. As if God's promise ever really depended on our ability to keep them. By rights, if Abraham got what he deserved, he'd be single or Sarah'd be a widow. But that's not what happens. Abraham's blessed. And as if he were there now, Josiah would say, that's not fair. And it's not. But here's the thing, fortunately for us when we're Christians, we don't trust in karma, we trust in grace. So where does Abraham go from here? What happens next? Well, again, maybe it's something that we don't expect. What would you do if you'd just made an absolute stupid mistake, done something terribly sinful, terribly wrong, and you'd just about got away with it? If it were me, I'd probably... So you know what, I'm going to take a back seat for a bit. Or you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else and start afresh where they don't know me. Chapter 13, verse 4, Abraham calls on the name of the Lord. This is what he does if you read the first few verses of chapter 13. Abraham goes right back to the beginning. He deliberately goes right back to Bethel. But Bethel was the place where it all began. Bethel was the place where he made his first altar to the Lord, where he made his first commitment to the Lord. And he goes back to Bethel and he makes another altar. How does that relate to us when we fail? It's the same principle. We don't run off, we don't hide, we don't deny it. We go back to the place where it all began. We don't go back to an altar, we go back to a cross. And we call on the name of the Lord and we say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm sorry. And we start again. And we do that once and we do it maybe 10 times. And in reality, we do that every day, don't we? Every day we come back to where it all began. We come back to the cross of Jesus and we say, Lord, I'm so glad it doesn't depend on me. Sorry for the day I had yesterday. Help me to, help me to live for you today. We never get past that. The, the Christian life is repentance. Ever so important when we fail, we don't run, we don't hide, we repent. What happens next? Well, not long after that, there's another crisis. As Abraham learned his lesson, when Abraham leaves Egypt, uh, and when he, when he left, actually, when he, when he left everything, his nephew Lot came with him. We'll learn about Lot coming up in a few weeks. I'm not really going to focus much on Lot tonight. And between Abraham and Lot, especially now they've come out of Egypt, they've got great wealth, they've got herds, they've got tents, they've got even more now. They've got loads of servants, and their herdsmen, their shepherds are falling out because not enough room for them both. And they need to separate and this time, it's Abraham who's in the position of Pharaoh. Abraham's the one with all the rights now. Lot's Abraham's nephew. Abraham had the right to decide which part of the land he wanted. Abraham has the right to set up camp where he wants. A Abraham has, has the right and, and all the choices because he's the firstborn and, and Lot's his nephew. And then Lot has to settle for what's left. And the question is, immediately after Abraham's messed up and he's come back and confessed to the Lord... What's he going to do now? Is he still going to do what he did in Egypt and look after number one? And what happens next is that we get another surprise because Abraham gives up his rights and he says to Lot, 
You choose. You, you choose and I'll, I'll have what's left over. See, he's, he's remembering, he's realizing, isn't he, that the city that he's got his hope for isn't, it's not a, a physical city, is it? It's what God's got for him. This is the same Abraham who's just been prepared to sacrifice his wife to look after himself as he learned his lesson. Well, we see Lot takes his first dangerous steps towards Sodom. Lot embraces worldliness and Abraham takes a massive step forward in his faith. See, Abraham's come to, to understand something. Abraham's starting to understand grace. And when Abraham started to understand God's grace towards him, it actually affects the way he starts to treat other people. That should happen to us, shouldn't it? When we understand God's grace to us, actually that changes the way we deal with other people. See, Abraham's grasping, faith isn't about looking after number one. Faith isn't about manipulating situations. And something beautiful happens. We're told the Lord, this is my favorite part of this passage. The Lord speaks to Abraham again. Here's Abraham who's fallen. Here's Abraham who's been rescued. Here's Abraham who, who's, who's come back to the Lord and repented. And the Lord says in verse 14, look up, Abraham. Look in every direction. Look east, north, south and west, Abraham. I'm giving you it forever. This is, this is what I love about this. Abraham, I haven't fallen out with you. Abraham, you're still my man. And the Lord affirms his promise of land and descendants. He actually ends up giving him more. And the passage ends with Abraham building another altar to worship God. This is, this is the message that, that God gives to Abraham. Abraham, I still love you. Abraham, I'm still going to bless you. Abraham, you made a right mess of this, but I'm still going to give it you. I haven't fallen out with you. I don't feel any differently about you. I love you. He says to Abraham, your descendants are going to be innumerable. It's generous, it's gracious, it's a merciful reminder. God doesn't give us what we deserve. He's merciful to us. And he's merciful to us after we've failed. And often after we've failed, then we're more, we're more fruitful. We said a few weeks ago, didn't we? Forgiveness is that God trusts us again in the place where we failed. And so God doesn't say to Abraham, look, Abraham, you'll still go to heaven, but I'm going to use something, someone else for me promise. Abraham, you're still my man. After Abraham's failure, he repents. The Lord comes and reminds him he's with him. This is the lesson. Our stupidity doesn't rule us out of God's plans. Our stupidity is no match for God's grace. You can have enough faith initially to leave everything and, and follow Jesus and still do stupid things. I have, you have. We, we can have enough faith to leave everything and follow Jesus and still lose sight of who we are and what we've been promised. I wonder if I were to ask tonight, where, where have you lost sight of Jesus' rule over all things? Where have you lost sight of, of God's promises to you and God's blessings to you? And as Christians, we can do heartbreakingly stupid things, can't we? Abraham nearly lost his wife. It was, Abraham was stupid. He had this all-important, all-amazing promise, and he panicked. Because if we could lose our salvation, if we could forfeit it, we would. 
If we could blow it, we would, and none of us are above failing. And if we look at other Christians and we think, what a joke they are. If we look at Abraham and we think, what a joke he was. 1 Corinthians 10 reminds us, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So when the word faith is mentioned in the Bible, who do we associate it with? First one that comes to mind is Abraham. Why is the great man of faith, and here's the news flash, Abraham messed up more than once. He does something like this again in, in a few years' time. But God is rich in mercy. He doesn't deal with us according to our trespasses and sins. He's merciful. We need to remember that with our own failings, and we need to remember it with other people's failings. Sometimes when a Christian falls, it can be the start of a downward spiral, can't it? Some people can, can confess to what they've done, feel sorry for what they've done, but, but never repent. What Abraham does is beautifully, he goes back to the place where it all started, and he rededicates himself to the Lord, and he starts again. That's what we do when we fail. We go back to the Lord and say, Lord, can I start again? He says, of course you can. Did you not think that what I did for you on the cross were enough for you to be able to do that? The point's simple, when we fall and we will, don't try and make it better, don't try and hide it, go back to where we began, repent, God will forgive us, determine ourselves to, to, to follow him. But don't be so overwhelmed by your sin as, as to think you can't go to Jesus every day and do this. Don't be so proud to think that you no longer need to go to Jesus and do this. I love how the Lord deals with Abraham. A, a, a guy called Matt Chandler says something beautiful, I'm, quote, I'm not quoting him, I can't remember what it is when you quote someone, but don't use the exact words. And he says this, he says, we must realize that God isn't in love with some future version of you. The, the Lord doesn't love you based on your potential. The Lord doesn't love me and you based on what will be in heaven. He loved us when we were filthy in sin. He loves us when we mess up really badly. The Lord's not waiting for us to be the finished article so he can pour his love on us. He loves us as we are. That doesn't mean we shouldn't want to change. doesn't mean we shouldn't want to be godly, but he loves us as we are. He loved Abraham just as much when he were being a muppet in Egypt as he did when he were acting in faith in Bethel. He loves you and he's just as committed to you now as he is when you do stupid things. Abraham, the great man of faith, but he failed. Because ultimately, it's not the strength of our faith that saves us, it's the object of our faith. It's not how much faith we have, it's who our faith's in. And so a tiny bit of faith in Jesus, a weak faith in Jesus, is better than a strong faith in yourself. Better than a strong faith in church, better than a strong faith in anything. And in his failure, Abraham goes back to where it began and he starts again. That's what we do. A couple of things just to summarize. Believers are still sinners. I love that saying that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. Church isn't a cruise liner, it's a battleship with a hospital wing. We're all recovering sinners. We will be for the rest of our lives. We still need sanctifying. Abraham, the great man of faith, still did stupid things. Don't despair when we do. Secondly, God's merciful 
to those who trust his promises. It's never been about our performance. It's always about God's promises. Your security is never about your performance. It's all about God's promises. Third thing is, it's reminding us repentance is a word we've got to get back to using again, isn't it? Fight not to fall, but, but get back up again when we do and, uh, and confess your sin and, and he's faithful and just to forgive you and, and start again. Never be too proud to do that. Fourthly, grace has got to change us. If we experience God's grace towards us, we must become gracious towards others. Abraham understood, I'm looking to a heavenly city. I don't need to fight for an earthly one. Finally, we remember this, our God keeps his promises. He orders our steps, and even though we might fall, we'll never be utterly cast down if we trust in him. That's what our hope's in, isn't it, this evening? We've got to have a fierce determination, Lord, I don't want to fall. Lord, I don't want to sin. Lord, I don't want to rest, let you down. But that's not our hope. Our hope's in his promises to us. Our hope's in his faithfulness. Our hope's in the fact that he blesses us when we don't deserve we're going to sing a lovely song. Look at the words as we sing it. And it reminds us, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Let's stand with the music.
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Father, we thank you that when the summary of Abraham's life is written, that it doesn't focus on his stupid sins, but on the fact that he trusted you and that he was right with you through faith. And we thank you that when the summary of our life is written in heaven, it's not our sins, there are many that are written down. It's that by faith we trusted you and we have that heavenly city to look forward to. Father, we thank you that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. Amen.